0: Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and I'll be speaking on verses 7 to 15 but I'm actually going to start reading from verse 5. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and reading from verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of, the glory, of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Amen. Well, how's your self-esteem going this morning? Do you think very highly of yourself as a person? There might be some people who kind of feel that you think a little bit too highly of yourself. That would be a bit embarrassing. Uh, But in that case, we talk about having high self-esteem. Or maybe someone has criticised you. Perhaps you feel uh, hopeless or worthless. We'd say you had low self-esteem. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't have either of these problems. He didn't have high self-esteem. He didn't have low self-esteem. He had no self-esteem. Uh, and I don't mean by that that he was just some hopeless sort of puddle on the floor. I mean, the whole idea of self esteem just wasn't in his universe. His identity, his value, his joy, his treasure were all based somewhere else. And hopefully, as we look at this passage this morning, we'll, we'll understand why that was. Firstly, let's, let's just pray. Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that uh, we'll see who we really are, but also who we are in Christ. I pray that uh, you'll impress on our hearts the immense value we have in belonging in Christ. I pray that all that I say this morning will be true and that you'll be glorified because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if anyone has an excuse, I think, to feel sorry for themselves, it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's, he's constantly got all these terrible things happening to him. Shipwrecks, serious health issues, being in hunger and exposed, beatings, false imprisonments, people trying to kill him, all, all these horrible things. And now in the church in Corinth, where he'd, he'd taught them and established them in love, now there were men rising up who, as leaders who were really smooth talkers and, and popular. And they were just dumping on Paul. Some really popular celebrity preachers, if you will, had raised up and wanted to, to replace Paul and, and take over the show. And they use big words and tricks and flashiness and they distort the truth and preach a different Jesus to make their message more attractive to the listeners. And they're telling the Corinthians, don't listen to Paul, that guy is a loser. You know it yourself, sure, you know, sure he writes okay but you've seen him, you've heard him. Is, is hopeless at preaching. He just kind of blunders along and, and all, he just talks about Jesus dying all the time. No, no wonder he, he fails to get many people to, to convert. And we think that he must be a secret sinner because why else would God be letting all these horrible things happen to him all the time? He, he's not the right material. Just, you know, forget him and his teaching. They, they were clever-sounding, attractive, popular, prosperous and giving the people what they wanted to hear. And I don't know, maybe they wanted to, they had designs on being the first sort of celebrity leader in the mega church of Corinth. I don't, I don't know. But in comparison, we have Paul. And he's not easy on the eye. And he's not rich and impressive. And he's not got the right academic credentials, according to his critics anyway. And he's not dynamic as a speaker. He's not a good showman. He's afflicted and poor. And he just goes around preaching Christ and him crucified all the time, which kind of just puts most people off. And I started thinking, if, if Paul was here today, and so this is just how my mind works, so just indulge me for, for a minute. If, if Paul was here today, what would these like the equivalent of these false so-called Christian celebrity uh, teachers say to him today. We don't, we don't know what exactly uh, what they were saying to Paul. We can sort of infer from, from how he responds. But if Paul was here today, here's, here's some quotes of what they might say to him, the, these, these false uh, celebrity preachers. They might say, Paul, your dream may look impossible, but God said blessings will chase you down Ask big. Take the limits off God. See, they'd say, Paul, God wants you to have all your dreams come true. You just aren't asking big enough. I'm I'm not going to tell you which celebrity preacher said this, by the way, because I don't want to advertise them, but um, just please be careful what the material you look at online and, sadly, uh, in your Christian bookstores as well, because this stuff's everywhere. So more so-called modern wisdom for, for Paul to help him in his, in his troubles here, apparently. Paul, you're down and out at the moment, but when the negative thoughts come, and they will, you, they come to all of us, you've just got to replace it with a positive thought. See, Paul, they say it's just, it's just mind over matter. Or maybe a bit of tough love for Paul. Paul, God wants you to be a winner, not a whiner. Mm, it's kind of catchy, maybe, then... I don't know. Uh, or how about, Paul, it's God's will for you to live in prosperity uh, instead of poverty. It's God's will for you to pay your bills, apparently, and not be in debt. Like, yeah, I've got, I can't even express how, how bad this stuff is. And Paul would have shut these, these guys down long before this. So, but how, then, does Paul make his life better? How does he become popular with the church and impress more people? He doesn't. Back in verse 6, he's just talked about this glorious light, the glory of God Almighty seen in the person of Jesus Christ, the mercy and power of Christ crucified for sinners like us so that we can be reconciled to God when we, we should have so rightly been condemned to hell for our grievous rebellion as we waved our puny little fists against the God of the universe. Yet Christ came down to save sinners. There can be no greater news, no greater treasure than that. And Paul was just talking about this most wonderful treasure of ultimate value, and God puts it in clay pots. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. God puts this treasure in boring, old, unremarkable clay pots. And we're not even talking about nice clay sculptures or a decorated vase. These are referring to just cheap, consumable clay containers. They'd pick up at the market, they'd put their flour or grain in it. Some of them were used for even less honourable purposes than that. Over time, they get chipped and scratched. Someone drops it, you sweep it up, go to the market, buy another one. That's it. And the God of the universe, with all power and majesty, chose to leave this profound treasure in unremarkable clay pots. Pots like Paul, pots like you and me. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul says, you say that I'm not good enough. You say I don't look right, I don't impress anyone, uh, that people aren't going to be converted just because of my plain uh, common speech, well, you're right. It's true. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm a wretched sinner who once persecuted the church. But that's the point. God uses lowly clay jars to pour out his treasure to show people that all over the world are being miraculously transformed by the gospel, not by the abilities of men, but by the power of God. Verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Have you ever dropped a clay jar onto a hard floor or a tiled floor? How resilient is it? It's, it's not. <laughs> you drop it, you hear a shattering sound, pick up the big pieces, sweep up the rest, it's destroyed. So here's Paul, the self-admitted common clay jar, and people are just lining up to take a swing at this clay jar, and he should be broken down, and he should be destroyed easily, but he's not. Paul's critics say all this bad stuff must be happening to him because he's not a man of God. But the opposite is true. The fact that Paul just keeps on preaching the gospel through all these trials and persecutions and he isn't crushed and he isn't silenced and he still has his peace and he still has his joy just goes to prove what he's saying. It's not him. It's the power of God through him. So how how does it work? I mean, what's what's Paul's secret? Because if if we were judging by today's standards... Like I was just reading before, Paul wouldn't be popular enough to to even get a book deal. He certainly wouldn't be popular enough to get his own TV show. Paul doesn't say that peace and joy and value as a person comes from making your dreams come true and feeling highly about yourself. The secret isn't living your best life now, it's in dying. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Dying is Paul's way of life. Paul said to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live... But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul isn't fearful of losing his life because he's already lost it. The the old Paul, the, the self righteous one, the one that was the enemy of Christ, is already dead. It's Christ now living in him. And he takes the persecution and the beatings because they're not towards him. He tells the Galatians, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul is sharing, as it were, in the death of Jesus. But rather than being afraid of losing his own life, he has joy and peace because his life is in Christ. He's being made alive in Christ. And when his earthly body is done and finished, it means that he'll have joy of being in Christ with Christ in person. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, Paul says to the Romans. Isn't it amazing when you think about it? Sometimes you, you hear about uh, people who, who do have treasures in this in this life. Maybe they were once a, a you know, former rock star that's bombed out or maybe they're someone who's won the lottery and they've had this fantastic life and they've bought the, the mansion and they've they got the ten Ferraris or whatever you buy. Uh, but they don't handle it well and a few years later they've blown it all and they're left poor and empty and they had all that, that money and popularity for a while, but there's, there is no deep joy, there's no peace. And when their earthly body is done, they face standing under judgment before a holy and righteous God. And here's the Apostle Paul, he has nothing, he's a worthless clay jar, he's suffering daily, but he has real joy and peace in Christ He has value as one whom Christ died to save. And he gets to look forward to the fact that his best life is yet to come in eternity in the awesome presence of Christ himself. And at the same time, Christ is living in Paul so that other people hear the words of Christ through Paul. And by the grace of God, they miraculously transform from being dead in their sins and trespasses And instead, in repentance and faith, they become a new life, a new creation in Christ. So all throughout Paul's writings, you get this image of living and dying. It's sort of this paradox, but the only way to truly live is in dying. Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Our first reading this morning was from Psalm 116, and it can read a little bit differently depending on on what version you're using, but this is what Paul is is quoting from here in verse 13. And there's a logical progression here. Given the spirit of faith, believe and then speak. Have you ever thought that pretty much most of Paul's sufferings would have gone away if he'd just learned to zip it sometimes like if he'd just like just be a little bit quiet instead of you know preaching all the time and they tell him not to he could have made things a lot uh, less difficult but Paul is compelled to speak he believes therefore he must speak He knows he has life with Christ. He speaks for their benefit so that more and more people will come to know Christ. Why? What's the ultimate end? So that thanksgiving will overflow to the glory of God. Does anyone know off by heart what our church mission statement is? I'll give you a clue. It's kind of borrowed from the first question of the Catechism. If you're really stuck, it's on the website. You could look it up. Um, does anyone know what it is? I'll tell you. It's not even, I checked, it's not even on our front sign. So our, our church mission statement here is our aim is to glorify and enjoy God and make him known. And that, that's a great statement and far be it for me to, to make any quibbles about it, but But (laughs) technically, those last two things are, are kind of actually secondary. They're they're important, but they flow naturally from the from the first. So the sort of the short, full answer to the question, "What is the purpose of life?" is in that first part: to glorify God. You know, you know, we hear about how the, you know, the Beatles went to India and people go to all, you know, all these spiritual and philosophical journeys uh, to find themselves and the, and the meaning of life. We, we don't have to spend all that time and money to find out. We can, we can know right now the meaning of your life is to glorify God. That's it. That's, that's what you're alive for. Any other good thing in your life flows from there. The God who created the universe, who who formed me out of dust, who graciously still let me live all those years while I sinned and rebelled against him, who sent his son to suffer and die on a gruesome wooden cross for me while all the time I was just like those who spat on him and mocked him. So that for all eternity, the whole universe can say, look what God did for Cameron. He took a worthless, broken sinner and bought him with his son's own precious blood. What a great God he is. That's why Paul exists. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. What higher purpose could a jar of clay, a worthless pot ever have but to be filled with the mercy and grace of God to contain the treasure of the message that all who repent and trust in Jesus will be saved and live in the presence of God in joy praising him for all eternity and sadly that seems not to be the message that that many uh, teachers and churches are, are, are presenting the gospel as today we sort of hear. I often hear the gospel presented as like things like, well, you know, God just thinks we're so adorable that He just couldn't possibly be happy living without us. So He sort of wants to give us all this stuff to to make us happy, and He wants us to know how wonderful we are, so we feel good about ourselves. And I guess that sort of sounds nice on the surface, but there's, there's no true, deep, lasting joy in that message. And basically, it's all about us and, and not about God. The true, deep joy comes from seeing ourselves as we truly are, poor, broken, sinful clumps of clay, and then seeing the grace and mercy of God come down to us when we are nothing and bestow on us the greatest treasure we could ever know and to take this worthless clay pot and transform it from a vessel deserving wrath to a vessel of honour and to lift us up and place us on the top shelf to be with him and bask in God's awesome presence for all eternity and it's nothing about us and it's all about the glory of God. What what freedom there is knowing that it's nothing based on you or me and our pathetic failures. And what joy there is knowing it's all about the glory of God. And I know for me, I, I kind of actually struggled with that idea when I first came across it. Because we tend to think in our own selfish minds, well, well why, did, why did God just make us just to, to glorify him? Why, 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 he just wants to hear how great he is, like is it some kind of human vanity thing? And it seemed like it was a, an insult to my pride and I struggled until one day the awesome grace of God broke through and I saw the kindness of God. God doesn't want me to spend eternity to glorify him because he has a human ego like me. He wants me to glorify him for eternity because he deserves it and because he is kind. It's just and fitting and right that I glorify God, but it's also the highest privilege and joy that a created creature could ever be given. You're alive today? Fine. You believe, you speak, you die in Christ so that he lives in you and others come to know him and God is glorified. You die today? Fine. You, the worthless clay pot, get raised up to honour and you have joy forever. The highest calling and worth you could ever have to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that uh, each of us this morning will know what it is to to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross daily and to follow Christ. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll say with John the Baptist that we must decrease and Christ must increase in our lives. We thank you for the treasure you've entrusted to us. We pray that whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in, that our joy and peace is firmly based on that treasure. Lord, you've granted us belief. Please also compel us to speak. May others hear the words of Christ through us, that they may pass from death to life also. Lord, we praise you for the greatest honour that we'll ever know for all eternity to bask in your presence and to praise and glorify you. Amen.